Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. My name is Caleb Harper. I am the Connections Pastor here, and I am ready to roll. So let's take our Bibles, and let's go to Daniel 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back um, table back there. You can see the gray table. We'd love you to grab one of those. That's our gift to you. You can pull out your device and Google Daniel 5, and that's where we'll be. So we'll be in Daniel chapter 5. It's good to hear pages turn, so I'll go ahead and look at Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, and we will just read the first 12 verses. And today we're talking about visualizing the unseen, and we are continuing our uh, series in the Engage series. So let's read Daniel chapter 5, if you found that. It says this, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. That's interesting. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. And the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around their neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in but they could not read the writing or make known to him, to the king, the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and the lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the king declared, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us catch a glimpse of your beautiful future. I pray that your kingdom come and that your will would be done. I pray that you'd help us envision our lives as part of an unseen kingdom and that we would live accordingly. I ask that you would illuminate your words to us today. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
What a fascinating passage we just read. Disappearing hands, crazy parties, and we will explore what that means to us today. For me, I grew up in the Gold Coast, Australia, and I absolutely loved going to the beach personally. But Australia's beaches are really unpredictable, and in fact, they can be quite dangerous. And one of the dangers is what's been labeled rips, or over here it's called a rip tide. And according to Dr. Rob Brander, a surf scientist, what a job, right? Some people get all the luck, a surf scientist. Rips are strong, narrow curtains, currents that take breaking water from the waves back to the ocean. In fact, a rip will take you really far away from the ocean, and many times in Australia, most drownings are to do with someone being caught in a rip. I myself have experienced such a rip or rip tide, and it's a really scary experience when you turn around and realize you are hundreds or hundreds of yards away from the beach that you were just swimming at. So rips are, are really dangerous, and they're quite dangerous because if you're not in the water, they actually look like the safest place to swim. So in Australia, we have trained lifeguards who know the signs of the rips. They're able to see what the rips look like before they get into the beach, and they set up these red and yellow flags to show people where it's safe to swim. So you'll often see an ad called, Swim Between the Flags. You know, that's my, that's my Australian impression right there. <laughs> but though these lifeguards are looking at the same ocean, they're trained to see what's really happening under the surface. And they encourage us to live by what we see. So we find that these lifeguards give swimmers a true vision of what's really happening. And if a swimmer ignores these clues or ignores the lifeguards, they can pay dearly even with their lives. So in the same way, I actually want to explore an unseen and true spiritual reality. But instead of warning us as a danger, I hope that it will better help you see and imagine an unseen king and an invisible kingdom and a beautiful future. When we see these things, I believe that we will actually live accordingly. So if you're taking notes, what I want you to learn today is that if you know the unseen king, he will make meaning of your life and you can thrive in his unseen kingdom. I believe Daniel 5 today will actually help us peel back this curtain of what we perceive as reality and see a world that's controlled by an unseen, albeit good, king. And so if you know this unseen king, I believe he'll make meaning of your life and you can thrive in his unseen kingdom. I hope today as you explore Daniel 5 with me, I hope you'll be able to make sense of some of your life, not reductionistically, but be able to make sense of your situation and see how God is calling you to thrive in his kingdom. So let's dive into the text in chapter 5. We're going to see three situations, and we've already read the first situation in this one major scene. So the first situation is the synchronistic party and the call for the interpreter, right? So we first see this synchronistic party, that is, this worship that is worshiped of many, many gods, syncretism there. In the opening verses, if you're looking at Daniel chapter 5, what you'll find is Daniel, as we've been following him, is now under a new king, Belshazzar, right? They have lovely names, these Babylonian kings. And we're not given really any biographical information except that Belshazzar is somehow related or an ancestor to, that's the word there used father uh, in the Hebrew, Nebuchadnezzar. And so he's related in some way to Nebuchadnezzar. But what we'll find is last week, 
uh, Jeff took us through chapter four and really showed us about the, 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 the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was, was beaten down in pride because he was prideful. God humbled him. We'll actually see the connection in chapter five to the same thing happening to Belshazzar. And so that's why these stories are actually put together. There's a deep connection here. And what we find that both kings will be humbled by the power of an unseen God. So the first thing that we read, though, is that Belshazzar is throwing this party, right? This seems to give us a picture of a crazy particular party. But you know, this party had a purpose. And the purpose was that Belshazzar wanted to associate himself with the great king, Nebuchadnezzar. If you look at his text, he makes sure that he is reminding everyone that's at that party that he is associated with the greatest king of the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar. Well, how does he do that? He does it by getting out his fine china right? And so if you look at verse two with me, it says, Belshazzar commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought to that king, that he might drink from them. So Belshazzar asked for this fine china. Do you remember in chapter one, Jeff Jeff took us in verse two, it said this, Nebuchadnezzar brought the vessels from Yahweh's temple to the house of his gods and placed these vessels in the treasury of his God. What happened there is in Babylonian, when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, he took those vessels back and he put them in the house of his God. This is the ancient way of saying your local God has been defeated and he is subject to us. King Nebuchadnezzar was basically showing his people that he had domesticated Yahweh. These dishes aren't just dishes to drink from. They clearly represent the victory of the Babylonians and the dominance over other gods. And knowing all of this, Belshazzar participates in a sacrilegious and synchronistic worship of his gods. And most likely, ancient Babylonian literature will tell us most likely himself. Most likely himself. So verse four says this, if you look at verse four, it says, they drank wine and they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Belshazzar uses these sacred items used to worship the God to worship his gods and by proxy worship himself. So in this passage, we actually see Belshazzar's first power play. He wants to remind his guests that he's in control, that he has power over all local gods and specifically Yahweh. We'll find out later, but why does he specifically single out Yahweh? But as Jeff has led us through chapter one, through chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four of Daniel, we have seen that God cannot be domesticated. God cannot be controlled, and he is not appeased by sharing worship. In fact, in the book of Daniel, God has been present, active, and ruling always and in all places. So as Belshazzar drains the chalice to his gods, Jehovah's actually preparing to remove his kingdom altogether. So not only do we see this worshipful, purposeful party, but we also see this call for the interpreter. If you look at verse five with me, you see as they finish their toast, verse five says that a hand appeared and began to write. I spent a lot of time with this passage that by yesterday I was reading through, I was like, yeah, hand appeared, that's cool. And I realized, no, this is really odd, right? A hand appears and writes into plaster, right? This is just a crazy experience. Understandably, our king here is absolutely frightened. And in verse five, one scholar said that the idea of his limbs went limp, that's the idea of extreme panic, right? It's a symptom of extreme panic. 
But we actually find instead of the king humbling himself, he actually makes his second power play in his request for interpreters. In verse 7b, he offers certain things. He offers, if you look at seven, it says he offers a garment of purple, a gold chain, and to be the third ruler in the kingdom. These are symbols of royalty and the position that accompanies them. All these things symbolizes the idea of royalty. He feels like he can give power. But we find the king's magicians, if you were to look through the rest of the text, they can't understand the writing. And you'll see that it's not that they can't understand or read the writing, it's that they can't make meaning of the writing. And so real power to make meaning of this situation is absolutely taken us, taken from King Belshazzar. Did you notice that a queen comes from another part of the party and she says, hey, uh, uh, there's this disturbance, you need to call for this Jew, and this Jew's wisdom and ability to make sense of visions is absolutely renowned. You need to call for this man. Do you catch the irony? Belshazzar's drinking game that was mocking the exiles, the Jews, and their God can only be helped by a Jew and his God, <laughs> right? Daniel is clearly writing this with a sense of irony, and he's hoping that we catch that. So the proudful king is disconnected from reality. He can't see straight. He needs someone full of wisdom to make sense of his circumstances. So as we looked at these first 12 verses, what do we learn from Belshazzar's uh, synchronistic worship, right, and these grabs for power? We learn this, if you know the unseen king, you'll humbly worship him. We know this, if you know the unseen king, you'll humbly worship worship him. Clearly, Belshazzar didn't know the unseen king, so he worshiped the gods he could control. Did you catch that? Belshazzar didn't know the unseen king, so he worshiped the gods he could control. And thus, as he worshiped, he actually grew in his pride because he could control these gods. We too, actually, in order to have some sense of power think that we can falsely worship something and then we can control it. And when we do this, this leads to our own pride and our own destruction. Because if what we falsely worship is taken from us, the end of the charade leaves us vulnerable, defenseless, and alone. And so we make meaning of our lives by worshiping our success, our wealth, our vocation, or any number of things that we think we can control. In fact, some of us worship God in order to get something from him. We worship so we can control him. And that's what's difficult about Christianity. That's what's difficult about Jesus. He can't be controlled. Because of Jesus' nature, the fact that he's God, and the fact that he died on the cross for us and rose again, we owe him all power and authority. And you know, Jesus actually knows that only in our surrender to him will we be fully human. In fact, he knows that we're created to worship only him. And in fact, our true happiness will only be found in this singular worship. So therefore, Christ can tell us in the New Testament that in order to find life, we must lose it. So giving Jesus this type of worship, giving up this type of control can feel like a thousand deaths, but it's the only way that leads to true life. So if you know the unseen king, you humbly worship him. Uh, I watched the Super Bowl two weekends ago uh, and saw a wonderful team win, and maybe you watched it with me, 
And as I watched it, I was thinking about, I've seen fans that think that if they wear, and maybe you're one of these fans, there's no judgment here, this is a safe zone. Uh, they, they think if they wear their lucky jersey or participate in some certain pregame ritual that they can control the outcome. But it doesn't make a difference to the team's reality, right? The, fa- the fan has a false sense of control. In fact, Tom Brady was going to win whether I cheered for him or not. So we recognize, though, that that's pretty silly, right? And we recognize that even super fans realize they have absurd superstitions, But how often do we worship and live like that, that our half-hearted worship, our extra leftovers, a worship of God is gonna make some type of difference. We think, but God, I prayed to you about this decision and then it didn't go well. I prayed to you and I went to church. I praised you at church. I lived a moral life. Therefore, you owe me. And what's that? That's a way of not worshiping God. That's a way of controlling God. And God isn't controlled by false worship. In fact, to know the unseen God is to surrender all our perceived control to him. So we see in our first situation that we saw this synchronistic party, but we're all gonna, also going to see the idea of the interpreter's wisdom. So turn with me, if you're still there, go down to verse 13. And I may skip a few verses for time's sake, but it says this in verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, And the king answered and said to Daniel, you are Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of God, the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Verse 16 says this, but I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, a chain of gold around your neck, and you'll be third in the kingdom. Verse 17 says this, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. That's fascinating. Nevertheless, I will read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father. Him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive. Whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled. Verse 20 says this, but when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of men, and his minds were like the mind of that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was met with the dew of heaven, wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew what? That the most high God rules, the kingdom of mankind, and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk the wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Listen to this. Which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand it was your breath or is your breath and whose all your ways you have not honored. Fascinating. We first see in verse 13 that that Belshazzar bargains with Daniel. He reminds Daniel that he was in exile, right? He tells him, "You're, you're, you're Daniel, the exile, the Jew. But it's exactly Daniel's foreignness, or more specifically, his foreign God that will help this Babylonian king. 
In addition, you'll notice in this paragraph that our friend, the King Belshazzar, I guess not our friend, he's been mine over the past couple weeks, has mentioned four times that he wants the thing interpreted with Daniel. Clearly, he's desperate to make sense of, of whatever this writing is, of these particular words. That's the idea of interpretation, to make meaning from it. The Babylonian king then makes his third power play, right? He bribes Daniel for this interpretation. He tells the king, he tells Daniel that if you make known to me this interpretation, I will give you these things. And Daniel can make meaning of the writing, but he doesn't understand, the king doesn't understand that these interpretations come from the wisdom God has given Daniel. Daniel can make meaning of the writing because God has given him wisdom, not because he's coerced by some king. So Belshazzar bargains with Daniel, but we also see Daniel rebukes Belshazzar. So look in your verse, if you look down into verse 19 through 21, you really get into the crux of his rebuke. But it's, we see that Daniel tells Belshazzar first to keep his promises of false power. We'll see why that is interesting in just a moment. But that he will translate the writing, right? But before he translates the writing, he gives this lengthy rebuke. Now, if you've been following us with this Engage series, you'll notice that this is the second time Daniel rebukes a king. And I read this and I was like, how does this guy stay alive, right? Like this is his round two. He just opens up uh, a can of rebuke and then that, what happens is what they actually accept it, right? And so as I was thinking about this, I thought this guy must sound like Fred Rogers. Like that's the only way I can make sense. <laughs> Everything for me goes back to Fred Rogers. But anyway, it makes sense that that would be why he can take this. Because in verse 19 through 21, you'll really see that Daniel recaps chapter 4 and actually recaps what uh, Jeff even preached to us about King Nebuchadnezzar. And he actually perceives rightly that what Nebuchadnezzar made Nebuchadnezzar fall was the fact that he had pride and self-worship. And so Daniel rightly predicts that Belshazzar will also have false worship and pride, and that will be his downfall. We then get to the climax. If you're with me, you get to the climax of Daniel 5, and that is in verse 21b. If you look there, it may be even of the chapter, it says this, until he, that being Nebuchadnezzar, knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and sets over it whom he will. Daniel showed Belshazzar that the Most High God rules mankind, not him, and God gives power to who he wills. Daniel began to see, and Daniel saw this invisible king. Daniel goes on to tell him that the height of his foolishness was in the synchronistic drinking uh, wine from God's instruments. In verse 23b, it says this. If you look with me, verse 23b says, you have praised the gods of silver, the gods of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose all your ways you have not honored. I want you to hear this clearly. Belshazzar's pride made him ignore the reality of the true God and in fact, ignore reality. The king's lust for power led him to worship objects of creation rather than the creator. Belshazzar's pride had driven him so far from sanity that he didn't honor the God even though he knew about it and he knew that this God held his very breath. Fascinating. Daniel, what Daniel does is unmask the king's foolishness. 
and Daniel makes meaning of the king's true situation. He calls him to repentance and he calls him live in light of the reality of this unseen king. So what do we learn from Daniel's rebuke? Well, we learn that if you know the unseen king, he'll make meaning of your life. Number two, if you know the unseen king, he'll make meaning of your life. So as we saw in our first point, before God makes meaning of your life, we must worship the unseen king. Only in that submission to the king can we make sense of our life. We have to understand, just like Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four, that none can stay God's hand or say to him, what have you done? Once we begin to live in light of God's rule, we can actually call others to do the same, and he will make meaning of your life. So Christianity then, this is why uh, Christian philosophy often has a, a foot in reality, because Christianity then is actually an invitation to live by the truth. In fact, Jesus called himself the truth. So that is the reality that God actually rules and reigns all things. That's how God will make sense of our lives. So only in our worship of the creator can he shape us into what we created to be. And what is that? In his image. So knowing we are worshipers, we worship him in all of life. That means everything that life entails, right? That means literature, biology, vacations, art, sex, algebra, parenting, or psychology. Everything is profoundly undergird by the reality of Jesus Christ. So part of life is not just about not doing wrong things. Part of life is about seeing the beauty of Christ in all things, in everything. And so when we know he's in control, when we know this and we're making meaning of our lives, we're making meaning of beauty of the world, this takes the pressure off our performance. Because the Lord knows what he's doing, right? He's not surprised when Caleb fumbles the ball. In fact, that's a part of his plan. Even when we make mistakes, He's moving the ball forward. He's taking his kingdom forward. So th this, is a, this is amazing reality, right? This is the idea that not only does he make sense of beauty in the world, but he also makes sense of sin, evil, and suffering. God makes meaning of your life when we know the unseen king. So if you know the unseen king, he'll make meaning of your life. Let's look at our last point. We'll see the last scripture here. We'll finally see once we've seen the interpreter's wisdom, we'll see that he gives the interpretation of the writing. So verse 24, if you're with me, in Daniel 5, verse 24, verse uh, 24, I just said that. But we'll read to verse 30, excuse me. Then from his presence, the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. So Daniel's still talking here to the king. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mine, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Pares, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. It says this, verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. I want you to know, a commentator says that the words themselves, I don't know Aramaic, but the words themselves are actually Aramaic. And they actually say this, they say numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. So it's not that the magicians couldn't read the writing, they could read it perfectly well, it's that they couldn't make meaning of it. 
So Daniel gave meaning to the words. And because of Belshazzar's refusal to humble himself and his sacrilegious worship, the writing states, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. One of the most scariest verses in the Bible. Belshazzar's lack of worship for the true king has led him to rebel against God and sent him ultimately to his ruin. Do you notice again that Belshazzar's pride disconnected him from reality? And we see this disconnectedness in his response. Look at verse 29. He's just been told that the king is about, he's about to be killed that night. What's he do? Hey, Belshazzar gives a command and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. He makes a final power. Hey, everyone, hey, don't listen to Daniel. I'm still in power. I can just imagine Daniel walking out, realizing the, the Medes and the Persians there, just taking off that purple coat and throwing away that golden chain. Means absolutely nothing. Belshazzar makes this fourth and final power play. And what do we find? His own pride allows him to believe the illusion of his own greatness. Yikes. His own pride helps him, makes him realize the illusion of his own greatness. He believes the fact that he really is this great. And so Daniel makes meaning of these words, but we actually find that God fulfills these words. And so as we look down, we'll see that ultimately make, God makes good on his promise. If you look at verse 30, the kingdom was given to the Persians. He was killed, and God again does tear down kings and kingdoms as he wills. So interestingly, there's a substantial historical evidence about something that makes this fascinating. Interestingly, what happens, what we find when we read what's already happened is that the Persians had actually already defeated Belshazzar's armies. About 50 miles to the north, his armies had had been defeated and Belshazzar probably, Belshazzar at least already knew his armies were done. At that time of the party, most likely the Persians were actually encircling the capital and he still decided to have this party. And as the Persian army is surrounding the city, he just has this particular party and he would have already known that he was about ready to be defeated. He knew this already and yet Daniel wisely saves that till the end in the book. Even more than this, in the third year of Belshazzar's reign, Daniel had received a vision and given it to Belshazzar. It's Daniel chapter eight. Remember, Daniel doesn't get chronological after chapter six, that the Persians would actually defeat the Babylonians. And so some years later, when he knows that the Persians are in, Daniel knows, everyone knows the Persians are encircling the capital of Babylon. He's asked to come to this party and make meaning of the words numbered, numbered, weighed, divided. And do you notice Daniel never says the interpretation was given to him by God. This is conjecture here and you don't have to believe me, but conjecture, he simply knows what God has already revealed to him years earlier about the Babylonian defeat. And quite frankly, I'm not convinced that he just doesn't make meaning of the words based on what God already revealed to him and the Persians encircling the capital. Comes in and he reads those words and he makes meaning of this. Daniel's worship of the true God gave him the wisdom to rightly tell the king what no one else wanted to tell him. And so what do we learn from Daniel's interpretation? Well, we, lastly, we learn that if you know the unseen king, you'll thrive in his unseen kingdom. So Daniel, our friend here, seems to understand that he was a part of something greater. And certainly he lived well from chapters one through six, and he lived as part of a different kingdom, an unseen 
kingdom. But what helped Daniel thrive in this way? What helped Daniel thrive in an unseen kingdom and be so bold with what was happening in reality? Well, Daniel had actually had years before the end of all things revealed to him in a very obscure vision. And in Daniel 7, again, historically before Daniel 5, Daniel understood his place in this unseen kingdom. Years before Daniel stepped into that party hall, he had a spectacular vision of a greater king. I want us to read just a couple verses of that spectacular vision. If you go over to Daniel 7, you just turn the page, or a couple pages, depending on your Bible. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, I want to read this to you. It says this, read along with me. I saw in the night visions, I got a vision, Daniel says. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. What did Daniel see? Daniel saw the son of man. This is a title that was given to a God-like figure who would set up a kingdom that would last forever. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus actually uses this title in order to describe his own mission. But Jesus, according to one scholar, actually reframes for the disciples what the son of man's kingdom would be about. And he states in Matthew 20, 28, he says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give a life give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to start this unseen kingdom through his death and resurrection, and all over the New Testament, scripture encourages us to participate in this unseen kingdom. In fact, Jesus tells us that the only way to truly be human and to thrive is to be a part of this unseen kingdom. You know, like Daniel, we too know the end. We too have our own prophetic visions, right? The books of Matthew, Thessalonians, Revelation, to name a few, give us spectacular visions of a true and better future. You know, Revelation tells us that one day heaven and earth will collide, they will meet, and the whole universe will be renewed. We will live in union with God and he will be our manifest king. He will set up a kingdom of love, peace, and justice, and there will be no more grief, pain, death, and sorrow. Amen. We will be true worshipers, creating a new and beautiful world. We'll be surrounded by the saints of God, and we'll be in perfect union with Jesus Christ, the lion and the lamb. So therefore, right now, knowing our end, or you could say our eternal beginnings, help us thrive right now in the presence in the present, excuse me. Since we know this unseen king, we're called to participate in this start of this unseen kingdom right now, and Christians have been doing it for two millennia. So I encourage you, your life might seem small and insignificant, but Jesus actually tells us that he rewards a cup of cold water given in his name. So everything, and I mean everything, now is infused with meaning. Your life has meaning in the kingdom. From washing the dishes, to walking the dog, from going to class, to staying home with kids, your life is now infused with kingdom purpose. Everything has meaning. 
So God gave Daniel meaning in everything he did for the Babylonian kings. We find that Daniel interprets dreams, he serves at the highest forms of government, and Daniel's purpose is found in worshiping the king and living in that unseen kingdom. And he finds his purpose in that. And that's reality. And like Daniel, we can live in reality. So I ask you this, as we use our imagination, that means that every loving friendship, every musical note you play, every cup of coffee given points to a new and beautiful kingdom. So whatever God has inspired you to do, whatever good dream you have, or whether you're just eating and drinking, as Corinthians says, excuse me, that was my time. <laughs> Psych, gonna go for just 30 seconds more. Got excited there. That really threw me off. Anyway, so whatever you're inspired to do, whatever good dream you have, as I said, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. As you use your imagination, you're going to realize that every conversation with a friend, every good conversation with a friend, every extra moment with a student, every time you garden or weed your garden, every time you care for the poor, every time you change a diaper, every time you visit the sick, every time you love the prisoner, every time you help the refugee, and every time you love your family, you are participating in the kingdom of God and you are recognizing his rule. And nothing is lost. Nothing is lost in God's kingdom. So we see if we know the unseen king, he will make meaning of your life and you can thrive in an unseen kingdom. I encourage you, live your life in worship to the king of kings and lord of lords. And through your daily and humble routines, bring a little bit of heaven down to earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Daniel's example. And I pray that we would know the true king. I pray that today we would worship you completely. We would give you all the praise and all the glory. For you control all the dominions. You control the universe. You hold the stars. Lord, thank you for giving us purpose for everything that we do. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.